good morning, and welcome to all those of you who are here in person in the room with us, and those who are online, and uh, what that sounded, I don't know, that sounded weird to me this morning, sorry, Uh, but anyway, welcome, it's glad to have you, I'm glad to have you all here. You ever say something and you feel a little self-conscious about the way you said it, and you're like, ah, I don't know how that sounded, anyway, it's good to have all of you here with us today. Um, Hey, before we get going, I just had a couple of announcements, Uh, one, two of a more personal nature, and one corporately for the church. So the first one is uh, my son, Javen, who's been home all summer from college, is leaving today to go back to school. So um, make sure and tell, yeah, I know, I know. That was, that, yeah, that wasn't his mom doing that. But uh, anyway, no, uh, Bethany's going to be going to take him back to school. And so um, I'm actually not going this time, but uh, we just pray for them as they go later today, um, just for all that, getting moved in tomorrow and all of that stuff that goes along with that. We sure have enjoyed having him here. And so uh, also it's a great time to embarrass him and try to hug him uh, on the way out when you leave today. So um, then also I will just say, so before they leave, Javen, as well as Ken and Asher, the other boys, uh, are playing today in the uh, FCS alumni soccer game. Uh, and so that's, if you want to go see all the Faith Christian School boys play against each other uh, and some old guys, uh, alumni, I don't know how old the alumni guys are, but um, some of them are not very old. Uh, that's at 1, right? 1 o'clock? No, it's at 2. Sorry, it's at 2 o'clock uh, if it's not storming out at the field. So anyway, just wanted to mention that. And then lastly, AJ mentioned that we will have a, a brief meeting Really more of just a question and answer session after church. We'll just directly afterwards, we'll just stay, stick around in here. And we'll just, if you have questions about the new constitution, new bylaws, we want to give you a plenty of time to read it. So you've had a couple of weeks and then you'll have about uh, two more weeks and then we'll vote uh, whether to approve or not on uh, August 29th. Uh, directly following service. And so uh, we want this to be as transparent a process as possible. We want to make sure you have plenty of time to read it, to look through it. If there's anything that you find questionable, that you can go to myself or one of the deacons and ask questions about it. Or if you want to today, do you have a question that isn't answered yet and you've got one, you can, we can, you know, something you want to ask publicly, we could do that. Um, But we're, we're still open. If you're, you know, maybe you haven't read it yet, they're available out there. You can take one with you. It's long. Okay, I understand that it's not something you're going to read in two minutes. And so you want to look through it and you have questions between now and vote time. Again, approach myself or any of the deacons and we'd be happy to uh, answer those questions for you. Again, we want you to feel it's, it, it'll be this church's document, right? And we stand on the Bible and we, our, our bylaws are only good insofar as they agree with Scripture, okay? So it, where they differ from Scripture, we will go with Scripture, of course. Uh, if that was the case. But we want to make sure that you have an opportunity to know what your church is going to be about and how things are going to work in your church, okay? And so we just want to be very clear with that about the level of, of transparency. We don't want anyone to feel like, you know, we get two months down the road. How did that get slipped by me? You know, that's not, that's not what we want you to feel. So um, anyway, we're giving you every opportunity. But that's not what I came up here to talk about. Uh, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open to John chapter 4. It's where we're going to begin. We're actually going to fly around through the scriptures today quite a bit. Now, for the last few weeks, we have been in this series called Replant, where we're talking about how we're relaunching Hope Bible Fellowship as a church, basically pushing the reset button. I, 
I, I grew up playing Nintendo, 8-bit Nintendo, and of course later systems as well. But the old 8-bit Nintendo had two buttons on the console. It had, and you're playing Super Mario Brothers 1 or Super Mario Brothers 3 or whatever. And sometimes something would happen, it would glitch up or whatever, right? You would hit the reset button. There was a power button and there was a reset button. It would just take you back to the start screen, right? Those are still like the best video games, by the way. Anyway, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. That's a opinion. That's opinion. Um, but basically what we're saying is we're basically pushing the, the reset button and refocusing uh, on our mission and what Jesus wants us to do as his children here in Dixon. And basically what I did uh, for the last few weeks is boiled down uh, our vision for how we're going to accomplish the mission of making disciples into three words, gather, grow, go. Okay, three G's, G3, I don't know, but gather, grow, go. And that we said we want to gather together, grow deep, and go wide. And last week we talked about how we as a church are gospel-driven, we are gospel-centered, and and how that comes from our commitment to the gospel. But today we want to cover the the portion of of our vision that I titled Gather, right? The, The portion where we gather together, and that's specifically... I want to talk about our worship. What do we do when we gather? What, why do we gather and what do we do when we gather together in worship? And I think first we, we have to answer a question about worship. What is worship? Is worship a service? Is it music? Is it an attitude? Is it a lifestyle? What is worship? In our remaining time together, we're going to focus in on what it is, how we're going to worship together, and why this needs to be the first step in our our discipleship process, our vision. A guy named John Piper, who's a pastor, has suggested that many of us who gather here on Sunday morning probably, possibly, grew up in churches that had a very shallow view of the significance of what is happening right now in this hour and 20 minutes or so. When the people of God gather and he is there among them and we sing wonderful truths of scripture to God and to one another and a man opens the word of God and exposes the meaning of the text and shows us the truths of the gospel that are there and then calls us to respond with faith and to repent and believe the good news. And a lot of us, I think some of us, we grew up in churches that sort of, it it was so rote or it was so... uh, habitual or so just normal in and out and out we we sort of didn't make a big uh, big deal about the significance of what is happening when God's people gather together and he is am- he is there among them do you know that do you know we never have to ask God to be here with us we're guaranteed that he is with us so we as believers we never have to ask God to be here he is he is here and we we miss the significance that here's the thing when we gather together on Sunday morning There is just as much of God here as there is in a church in Chicago that seats 3,000 people. And so we've got to, we need to gain sort of a a, a sense of the importance of the astoundingness of what is happening that God wants to meet with his people. That we gather together to worship the one who died in our place for our sins. So that first question, what is worship? We're going to go to a pretty common passage in John chapter 4 when people talk about worship, and that's John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. 
And again, we're not going to stick in the one passage the whole time like I normally would. This is, again, something where we're going to look at a bunch of different reference verses within their context. But let's read John chapter 4, 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for uh, your word. And God, for uh, leading me along this path. Uh, God, I just, um, it's been a busy week, and uh, God, there's a lot going on in my mind and my heart, and uh, I'm the, probably not the only one <laughs> that that is true of, and God, I just pray you'd quiet our hearts, that you'd quiet my heart and quiet my mind, and I pray you would speak clearly through your word to your people. God, that we would understand what you want from us, that we would follow you obediently. And God, when we disagree on things, that we would do so in love and that we would not uh, lose unity over things, but that we would hold fast to the gospel and to you and then to each other, Jesus. This is about you, Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about anyone's preferences. It's about you. I just ask you to help me, Jesus. In your name I pray. So, what is worship? Now, this is part of a larger passage, this passage in John chapter 4, the one, Jesus meeting the woman at the well, and there is a whole lot of background that goes into it, that we're not going to go into a ton of it, but uh, she's a, they're in Samaria, he's at the well, Jews and Samarians, there was a whole racial thing there that was, was really divided, and actually, Jesus, uh, to, normally Jews would have walked out of their way to go around Samaria, Jesus went right up through it, because uh, he's not stopped by their, by their traditions like that. So he comes to this woman. They're having this conversation. Again, there's a lot more to it. But it's where we, we get this idea of worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so when we look at that, we're like, well, we want to know what it is to worship in spirit and in truth, but we want to know what worship is. So if we break it down, first of all, worship is understanding who God is and valuing God's worth rightly. So it's understanding who God is and valuing God's worth rightly. And the Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to worship. The word worship, so the word worship, if we break it down, it actually means worth-ship. Okay? Worth, W-O-R-T, worth-ship. I know, we say worship and it's spelled worship, but it actually means worth-ship. We're ascribing worth to the object or the person being worshipped. Now, he has worth, but we're ascribing worth to him. It is treasuring of God above all else. One pastor puts it, know him truly and treasure him duly. Now, normally I would tell you if your theology rhymes, it's probably bad. Okay, but I like this one. Okay, I like this one. It says, know him truly and treasure him duly. We are giving him what he deserves when we worship. What he is worth 
is what we are giving to him, which is everything and so much more. And so it's not like we can give him too much worship because he is worship. He is worth everything and so much more. We worship him in a couple ways through acts of the mouth and through acts of love. We worship through acts of the mouth. We sing songs to him of praise. We confess sin. We pray. We repent of sin. Those are worshiping through acts of the mouth. But also we worship through acts of love. Acts of love show God's value to us, his supreme value, in that we're willing to sacrifice for other people. Think the early church of the book of Acts, who sold their possessions to provide for others. It's worshiping God through acts of love. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It means we hold nothing back from God. It's not just a service or music. Those things are part of worship or being involved in worship, but it's really living a lifestyle whereby we serve God above all. We worship God. We we. We give him all that he is due, which is everything. Our whole life should display the worth of God. Does our life, does your life display God's worth to others? Worship is the purpose of redemption. See, our ultimate purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that's like the chief end of man, right? That's from the old, that comes out of the, they phrase it that way in the old Westminster Shorter Catechism. But So the ultimate goal of the, the purpose of, of God redeeming us is that we would be restored to right relationship with him. He would be glorified. We would worship him. So worship is the purpose of redemption. And many times, if you read through, so this is, this is all throughout the whole Bible. So Old Testament, New Testament. Many times, if you read through the book of Exodus, specifically in chapters 3 through 10, corporate worship, that's where the, the, the body is gathered together, corporate worship is pointed to as the purpose of redemption. So I want to look real quick at two different kinds of worship. I want to look at corporate worship, and then I want to look at uh, personal worship. Okay, and corporate worship is not where you worship a corporation. Okay, uh, I know. Sorry, I had a bad joke about Apple, but I'll just leave it at that. Corporate worship and personal worship, according to Scripture, the main purpose of the Lord's Day, so our gathering, the Lord's Day gathering, so that's what we're doing right now. We refer to Sunday as the Lord's Day. Okay, so according to Scripture, the main purpose of the Lord's Day gathering is actually not evangelism but it's edification or the building up of the church, of the body. Ultimately, ultimately, what we do here on Sunday mornings is primarily, primarily, now don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? It's primarily, that means firstly, what we do here is for the gathered children of God to glorify and honor his name, being edified and built up. Now, we always do that with what the Bible calls the outsider in mind. So we always do that with 
the non-Christian in mind as well. But the primary first purpose is for the church of God to gather and worship. And then we do that with the outsider, with the unbeliever in mind. You'll hear that in my preaching. Sometimes I will speak to those who are in the seats who may not know Jesus. You'll hear me say that. If you've never met Jesus, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then this isn't going to make any sense to you possibly. But let me tell you this. Like, I'll say that. Because we do it with those in mind but we, and, and maybe people who don't know what I'm talking about because of their background. You know, there may be believers who are young believers as well who, who didn't grow up in church and they're brand new to the faith and they don't, like, there's, we use a lot of real churchy words. I don't know if you know that or not, but in church, we tend to use churchy words. In this church, not so much, actually. Uh, but in some of my past churches, we use really churchy words and people on the outside don't understand what they mean. And so we've got to be helpful in, in, in explaining those things. But uh, so we do this. This is corporate worship for the church of God gathered together to worship the Lord and be edified and built up. Sunday morning is the main feeding time, if you will. Worship is a response to revelation. So this is where the mediest expository meal is served. The meatiest exposition of scripture is served during Sunday morning, the main, that main gathering of the people. Now, that should not be the only time we worship, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But because worship is a response to revelation, we're hearing the word of God exposited, explained to us, and then we are responding to that revelation of Jesus Christ in the word by worshiping him, by ascribing him what he is worth. I hope that makes sense. Sunday morning, I like that, is the main feeding time. It's where we say, hey, all the sheep come to the trough and let's eat together, you know? It's the main feeding time. As such, the main gathering, the main gathering should not be set up based on the preferences of unbelievers or what they will find attractive, but instead it should be set up and calibrated to the parameters given to us in Scripture for the edification of believers. Now, what that is saying, and I believe that's a thought from, uh, from uh, Jared Wilson, the, the understanding of this is that we should not set up what we do on a Sunday morning based on what will bring non-Christians to church. Do we want unbelievers at church? Yes, absolutely, 100% we do. Okay, But we don't set up what we do based on that. We set up what we do based on the parameters that we find here. Okay, Because we believe God's word is sufficient, and we know that God is the one who saves people, and God is the one who draws people, and so therefore we don't, uh, we don't have to worry about having the best rock show in town with lights and lasers, and, right? We don't have to worry about that. Number one, we're not going to have that anyway. Okay, because if you, if you start there, I'll just tell you, I was in youth ministry year, years and years ago, and it was always who could have the biggest party with the best giveaway or the best thing. And the problem is you always got to keep increasing it because giving away an iPad pretty soon isn't enough. Then you got to give away a car. Then you just got to give away cash. Then you got to, like, there's no stopping it because here's the problem. That was based on, we just want to get people in the door. It wasn't based on what does scripture give as our parameters for that. I'm not saying it's wrong to give stuff away like that. I, giving stuff away, I think, is fine. But it was the problem because what we were basing what we did on was not Scripture. It was drawing, and it wasn't building up the church. It was drawing other people in. Again, we want other people to come. We want other people to be here because part of our mission. But also, 
the Great Commission told us to go and make disciples. To go and make disciples. The sermon, which I'm going to give more detail on later, is supposed to be an exposition of Scripture. But since all Scripture is about Jesus, the preacher should expose the good news of the gospel and its implications in the passage. And this kind of preaching will encourage others... Listen, this kind of preaching will encourage others to bring their unbelieving friends to the service and, with the, and bring them with them because they know that whatever the passage is about, the gospel is going to be preached and, and it's going to be connected to the gospel every Sunday with clear, uh, clearly related to them, clearly to whatever passage is being preached on any given Sunday. And so people will want to bring their unbelieving friends because they know, hey, they're going to hear about Jesus. If I knew that my friend was dead in their sins, and I knew the only answer was Jesus, because that's true, right? Why would I want to invite them to my church if I thought there was no chance they were ever going to hear about Jesus? So that's corporate worship in a nutshell. And look, I understand I'm not up here giving you a seminary class on this stuff, okay? We're not going to be able to cover every nook and cranny, all right? Um, But that's corporate worship. Second kind of worship that we should all be experiencing is personal worship. Personal worship. This is your private worship at home. It's you and Jesus. Your Bible. Maybe you sing also. I mean, there could be different facets to that. This is you in prayer. I once heard a pastor say that the reason that worship doesn't happen on Sunday morning is because it isn't happening on Monday. In other words, the reason that some of us don't worship on Sunday is because we haven't been practicing personal worship the rest of the week. And so then we get here and we're like, all right, what you got for me, Pastor? But we haven't been worshiping during the week. If this is the only time that you worship God during the week, that's good. We need to be here. So that's good, but that's not enough. If you're relying on me to be everything you need spiritually, that's not going to work. You're going to be wildly disappointed. Wildly disappointed. Because we are to be worshiping God individually, spending time in prayer and the Word as we deepen our own personal discipleship during the week. Now, some of you you may say, Pastor, I want to do that. I've even tried to do that but I'm not really sure how to do that. I'm really glad you said that because (laughs) later on in the fall when we begin our discipleship training program, part of it is going to be how to study the Bible. And that's a, that's a, I'm going to throw that little commercial in there for free. Okay. It's going to, we're going to teach you how to study the Bible, how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible and understand what God is saying in scripture. Now, that's corporate worship and personal worship. I believe to be a growing Christian, you need both of those in your life, okay? Regularly, regularly. You remember what I said was the number one indicator of someone's spiritual maturity? Engagement with Scripture. Engagement with Scripture. So that's personal worship and corporate worship. And that's why we gather, why it's important that we gather together. We must worship in spirit and in truth, 
Okay, and we're going to get to, the, and I said the Holy Spirit enables us to worship. But in corporate worship, what do we do? Like, when we sit down and we're like, all right, it's going to be Sunday. We're going to, we want a Sunday service. What's that going to look like? How do we determine what is allowable or even beneficial during our corporate worship time together? Well, there's two ways of looking at this. Maybe three if you, if you want to throw a blended in there, okay? So there's a couple of ways of looking at this. When we gather together for corporate worship, there are these two principles that, that we use in talking about this, okay? It is, okay, first of all, please understand, you're not going to find the words normative principle or regulative principle. Those are two principles I'm going to talk about. You're not going to find those words in Scripture, okay? It's when we look at Scripture how we determine what, and we put a name on what we see that, how we understand that to be said. It's like the word Trinity. The word Trinity is not in Scripture, but the Trinity is in Scripture. Does that make sense? The, the Trinity is in Scripture. You just, we just don't find that word there. It's a word that we have that we use to explain what we're talking about, talking about Trinity. Okay? So the, the, what we're talking about here in worship is the regulative principle versus the normative principle. The regulative, normative versus regulative now, when I first heard about these, I was like, what? What are you talking? What are you? I heard these, you know, these big, well-knowing PhD pastors and professors, and they were talking about this. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Normative and regulative? I've never heard of that. I was a grown adult, and I'd never heard of that in church. I'm like, what is that? Here's, here's, I'm just going <laughs> to explain it, and then you may never need to use the words again, but you'll know what it means. The normative principle says that as long as a practice is not biblically forbidden, then a church is free to use it to order its corporate life and corporate worship. So in short, if, it's, if it, the Bible doesn't specifically say, don't do that in worship, then we're free to do it. That's what, that's what the normative principle says. Now the regulative principle the regulative principle forbids anything that's not commanded by Scripture. Okay? So the normative principle allows anything not forbidden in Scripture, but the regulative principle says we will only do in, in worship what is specifically outlined or, or, or commanded in Scripture. And so then we kind of like, well, huh, you start thinking, well, where would I fall in this, right? Where... Do I, do I fall in the, okay, as long as Scripture doesn't forbid it, we could do it in, in worship, or we only do it in worship if the Bible explicitly commands it to be done in worship. Where do you, where do you fall in on that? Well, D.A. Carson, he notes this. He says, theologic, the, excuse me, theologically, 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 rich and serious services from both camps often have more in common content than either side usually acknowledges. So Carson goes on to observe that there's no single passage, you're not going to find a single passage in the New Testament that establishes a paradigm for corporate worship. Okay, There's not like one passage that I can point to and go, this says exactly how the service should be set up. Okay, uh, there's, there's, there's no, you do three songs, take an offering, and then uh, the sermon, and then two songs, and then you go eat tacos. Like, that's not there. 
You're not going to find that. Okay? I would agree with that, but I would also note that when we lead people in corporate worship or when you come to corporate worship, your consciences are in some sense bound to participate in each part of the service. So the argument of those who ascribe to the regulative principle is that this binding of conscience only works if the element of worship is warranted by Scripture. Now, if, as I said earlier, corporate worship is the purpose of redemption, then it just makes sense that God would reveal to his redeemed people how he desires that they worship him when they gather for this purpose. Okay, because we we look at the scripture and God cared how people worshiped in the Old Testament. God cared how they worshiped in the New Testament. And so, just to kind of give you a little bit of a spoiler alert, I fall somewhere in the middle of regulative and normative, okay? Uh, There's some stuff I don't think we should do in worship, even though it's not specifically forbidden. There's some stuff that I think is not helpful uh, to do in worship. And there's some stuff that I think we just shouldn't do because Scripture would forbid it. But there's other stuff that I think we should do because Scripture commands it that we maybe don't do and need, and I feel like maybe we should work that in. So if you see changes in worship services over the years, now you'll know why. It's because there are some things that, that we see, and, we're, and we'll talk about them later, and, and we're like, we don't, we don't do that a lot, and it's like we need to work more of that in. Um, so I'm, I, I probably don't fall 100%. I, I would lean more towards regulative principle, but just personally, I kind of fall more kind of a little bit in the middle. Um, I think there's some stuff. The Bible doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say don't do skits during worship service. But I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with doing a skit during a worship service, okay? Um, that's just an example. Please don't start asking me to do skits, okay? All right? But I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything necessarily inherently wrong with that. And, that's just my, and, and again, that's my personal conviction. So I do fall somewhere in the middle. There is some stuff where if you're like, hey, you know, are we going to do juggling during worship? I'm probably going to say no, Okay? Um, and there's other stuff. I'm using extreme examples, but there's other, there's other stuff in there. Um, but again, it all comes back to uh, what is our purpose and what is the purpose of corporate worship and can we be loving and unified? Because we need to be loving and unified centered on the gospel. But God cared how people worshiped in the Old Testament. Exodus 20 Verse 4 says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. So God doesn't just care that his people worship him, but he cares how they worship him. He didn't want them making some image and worshiping it. It's why we don't have a picture of Jesus up here that we worship. Because it would be breaking that command, right? We would have made a graven image and are worshiping that image. We don't do that. I'm not saying that all pictures of Jesus break that commandment, okay? It's not what I'm saying, all right? But we don't have an image of Jesus up here and worship it. We don't make a statue of Jesus and worship the statue, right? We don't do that because God forbids that. that to, to, he forbids us to worship idols or to worship him in a way that he is not commanded to be worshiped. God cares how people worshiped in the New Testament. In John chapter 4, 
That woman's like, well, where, where should we worship, right? We, we, on this mountain or there? Where, where do we? He says, soon, you're not going to worship either. It'll be worshiping in spirit and in truth. That is like a very loose paraphrase, all right? God cares how he is worshiped. John Piper said, for Jesus, worship amounts to zero if there is no heart behind it. We must worship in spirit and in truth. So our, our truth, our doctrine, our understanding should flow, our worship should flow from that, from our proper understanding of who God is. And we should be worshiping in spirit as well, spirit and truth. Not one, not either or, both. Now, what Piper says there is worship amounts to zero for Jesus if there's no heart behind it. So sincerity in our worship is essential, but sincerity in our worship alone is not enough. We have to have spirit and truth. We must be sincere in our worship, but also come from a place of truth. Again, not one or the other. There are some people that you can listen to, you can listen to on the radio some people, and they are as sincere as all get out with what they're singing. But then I look at the truth element of what they're singing and I'm like, that's a little sketchy. Not all, not all of them. Okay. We worship, sincerity is essential, but it's not enough. 1 Corinthians 14 gives us parameters for that, all right? We're not going to go there right now, but 1 Corinthians 14 gives some parameters and you can take a look at that. But what are the elements of worship? So when we come together for corporate worship, what are the elements of worship? I want to go through these. I'm, again, I'm going to try to not make this uh, like a class, okay? Because um, it's preaching, not supposed to be teaching like a class. But I do want to talk about what are the elements of worship. If we want to apply the regulative principle or some version thereof, we have to look at what Scripture specifically warrants to be done in the worship service. This gives us a good place to start in our understanding. So basically, uh, where I land is if God commands it to be done in Scripture, you need to do that stuff. Now, I'm not saying there isn't some other things. You, you know, skits is the example I gave, right? I'm not saying you can't have some of that other stuff that you put in there necessarily. But at the very minimum, we should be, doing, we should be worshiping God the way God commands to be worshiped. Are you with me? Yeah, I hope so. Some of you are looking at me like I got three heads. All right, so <laughs> I just really like saying that. So if we're gonna, we got to look at where do we start with this? Where do we start? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at five things that I think we need to do in in worship. Number one is read the Bible. Yeah, duh, Pastor. Well. If we look through the Bible and gathered times of worship in Scripture when the Israelites would gather together, when the church would gather together, the Bible was regularly read aloud in gatherings in Bible times. The letters in the New Testament that were sent to churches were most likely read out loud to the church. It is powerful. The Bible is powerful. It's the Word of God. And it's powerful even when the person reading it doesn't try to explain it. So, this looks like in, script, or in churches, you'll have someone get up, 
maybe they do the welcome or whatever, they pray, and then they'll read Scripture. Or later, there'll be somebody who will come up and they will say, today's Scripture reading, and they will read the Scripture out loud. And then they sit down. That's not the sermon portion. They're just reading the Scripture reading for the day. Because the Scripture is powerful, and having the Scripture read aloud and read over us is powerful and important. And you say, well, pastor, do you have a verse for that? I do have a verse for that. It's 1 Timothy 4.13 that says, until I come. So let me, let me stop. This is Paul writing to Timothy, a younger pastor, that he uh, had a sort of a, a mentoring, his son in the faith, a mentoring relationship with. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. That seems like reading Scripture publicly is important that the Apostle Paul would command Timothy to devote himself to that. In Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine. if we jump back into the Old Testament, it says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Scripture is powerful. 2 Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And, and it goes on in the next verse. And Hebrews 4.12, and I love this, I love this verse. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is a, one translation that says it exposes us for who we really are. The, the word of God exposes us for who we really are. It will lay bare everything in sight. That's why a lot of people don't like to read it, <laughs> I think, is because they're convicted. They are laid bare of who they truly are. When we make time in our service for reading of Scripture without any comments every week, we make a statement about the high value we place on God's Word. So here's the question. Are we eager and excited to hear the Word? Do we desire the Word? It admits that the power of God's Word is what our lives and the life of our church and our spiritual growth depend on. Not somebody who can speak eloquently. They depend on the Word of God. Highly valuing the Word of God acknowledges our weakness. It says we are ready to listen to what God has to say. It says we're willing to sit under the word and let it evaluate us. It says we're willing to agree with the way it presents reality and to submit to its verdict about, and judgment about us without any qualification on our parts, without us giving any caveats to it at all. So we read the Bible. Number two, we preach the Bible. We preach the Bible. 2 Timothy 4.12, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preaching is the method that God has ordained whereby the gospel is communicated to sinners. Why do we, some people are like, well, we're kind of getting away from the importance of, we don't want the sermon to be so central. The only problem is that preaching is the method that God ordained for the gospel to get out to sinners. Romans 10, 14 through 17 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we preach the Bible because faith comes by hearing the Bible. Acts 8.4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. In first, back in First Timothy four thirteen through sixteen, we're gonna. This is gonna sound familiar to you. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself. And on the teaching, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And then uh, tag one more, Romans 1.16. It's familiar to many of you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is my belief, and you guys already know this because we talked about this in weeks prior, but it's my belief that the regular preaching diet of a local church should be expository preaching through books of the Bible. And yes, I realize it's ironic because I'm doing a topical sermon right now. So I realize the irony of that, okay? Although you can preach a topical sermon expositorily. But anyway, the preaching should give the point of the passage being covered or exposed. In other words, uh, my preaching, the main point of my sermon should be what the main point of the text is. You, want it, you, need, you need to understand what this says, what this means, not what I want you to understand because it's something I have come up with. It must be what the text wants you, what God wants you to understand in the text. One guy calls it the gospel moorings and how it interacts and intersects with the gospel as the full counsel of God, and that must be presented during the sermon. Our church needs a regular diet of preaching that presents the gospel with all of its implications as natural to understanding a passage of Scripture. So we must see the gospel in all of its, all of its natural, excuse me, implications. Luke twenty four twenty seven it says, "In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself." This is Jesus going back with these two guys on the road to Emmaus and and using the Old Testament to explain how it's all about him. We must come to Scripture as we preach the Scripture, as we as we read the Scripture. We must come with gospel colored glasses. Preach the gospel as we preach the point of the passage. Address both believers and unbelievers with the truth, power, and implication of the gospel. Again, we don't just address believers, though that is the primary reason we gather. We also address unbelievers in our preaching. So we read the Bible, we pray the Bible. Number three is we pray the Bible. Wait, read the Bible, preach the Bible, sorry. Number three is pray the Bible. Number three is pray the Bible. You may be starting to see a pattern here. Pray the Bible. 1 Timothy 2.1 First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. 
And in Matthew 21, 13, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Prayer was very important to Jesus, it was very important to God. Pastors are commanded to lead their congregations in public prayer. So I lead you in prayer. Scripture teaches us how to pray. Praying in the gathering, so when we are gathered together in worship, praying tells God that we want to approach him on his terms the way he wants, not on our terms or where our preferences fall. It also acknowledges our need. Remember, prayer is expressed helplessness. Prayer is expressed helplessness. It acknowledges our need before God that we cannot do anything without him and that we need his power. If God's not moving and part of the service, at the very heart of the service, why are, why are we even bothering then? Right? It wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense. So we pray the Bible. Number four, we sing the Bible. Ephesians 5.19, and again, it picks up mid-sentence here, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Worship is edifying. Worship is edifying. That's one thing I really think people don't understand when, when they, and, and please don't take this the wrong way if you're watching online, uh, when people aren't gathered together, and I think we all realized this when we had that government shutdown, Right? When you're not gathered together worshiping in person with everybody, there's a di- it's different. It's different. Watching worship uh, and singing in your living room while it's being done on the screen, that's just different. Because there's an edifying, uh, an edifying factor in worship where it builds up the church. Jesus uses his word to build the church so it makes sense for us to only sing songs that use his word accurately as well as generously. So, like, singing songs that, I mean, some people, we, we hear songs, we're like, oh, we listen to the song on the radio, we're like, it's really cool, I can sing to that, I like it, whatever. It's like, using songs that are confusing or unclear theologically should not be preferred. So there's sometimes, in the past, there's songs where I've looked at them, and I've like, you know, that song, it's not a terrible song or anything like that, but there's part of it that's really unclear, like, if you've got to explain the song before you sing it, I'm not sure that's helpful, and so, and so in the past, that's something, I, a conversation I've had with people, with worship leaders or with uh, other people. Um, songs edify the church when they contain accurately applied scriptural theology because the word is what, Jesus builds the church through his word. Uh, we're, when we come to worship to sing the Bible, to sing the truths of God, we're not coming for solely an emotional experience. There will be emotions in it, and God has given us emotions, and they are a good thing. But we're not just looking for the next, you know, Jesus jolt, right? Our next fix, right? We want to worship in spirit and in truth. So there will be an emotional response many times, but we're not just looking for emotion. And the best songs that direct our attention away from ourselves... And focus it squarely on Jesus and the gospel. So I, I really think that the best songs that we sing in worship are, they are directed at God. They take our eyes off ourself and focus on him. So we sing the Bible. And number five, we see the Bible. We see the Bible. I bet you didn't guess that one was coming. We see the Bible. Well, pastor, I can see your Bible. It's setting up on the podium. That's not what I'm talking about. 
Dever points out the ordinances, so baptism and the Lord's Supper, or some of you refer to it as communion, are dramatic presentations of the gospel. When we see baptism, when we witness baptism, when we partake in the Lord's Supper, it's like a moving picture that physically represents the spiritual realities of the gospel. You know, in Luke twenty-two nineteen, it says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper, communion, is a visual reminder of the cross work of Jesus. We do it to remember his sacrifice, that his blood was spilled out, that his body was broken on our behalf for our sins, that he gave his life. It's a reminder of the cross work of Jesus. And baptism is a picture of that transition from life into death. It's an outward picture of what's happened internally. When we uh, are dead to our old life, dead to our sins, placed under the water, and raised to new life in Christ, when we come out of the water, it's signifying being raised to new life in Christ. I just did that. Now you guys know my secret move when I do baptisms. It's all in the knee. All right. Romans chapter 6, 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we must take great care to be faithful with the administration of the ordinances, and that will help church. It helps prevent false conversions or unregenerate membership when we take care to not offer baptism to someone who we're not sure that they really have trusted Christ. You know, and that's why before I baptize people, we have to have a conversation. Like we need to talk and I need to see your life. And and I'm not quick, usually not quick to baptize someone who immediately comes because we need to have a conversation and find out if they really understand what they've committed to. If they really understand, if they really have trusted in Christ and believe. Because we have a lot of people who, uh, they walked an aisle at a VBS, you know, when they were, they were six and, um, and then they got baptized, and now they're 25 or 30 or 40, and there's no fruit in their life whatsoever. Because they didn't truly understand the gospel and the call to repent and believe the gospel. At this time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite uh, Dana and the rest of the musicians to come on back up. And I, I, I want to close with this, and then we're actually going to worship for a bit through song. And I didn't intentionally talk about worship to make you feel all nervous now. That wasn't like that. <laughs> Corporate worship Sunday morning needs to be a priority. We need to be committed and prioritizing this in our week because it is when we gather as the church of God. And then private worship. Private worship is the first step because before we can go or grow, we must first be a worshiper of Jesus Only those who are God's children can rightly worship him. And it will affect all of the other elements. So what are we hoping to get out of this? If you say, Pastor, what's the purpose of this? Like, what are we hoping to happen? What are your desired outcomes for this? Well, it's this. Number one is for all church members to increasingly value and prioritize gathering to worship together on the Lord's Day. Okay? I've posted this before. I didn't make it up. 
Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. Okay? You have to decide, I'm going to go and gather and worship. Make it a non-negotiable. You stayed up late. Okay. I was up till midnight last night. Okay. Uh, You stayed up late. You had something happen. Like, I understand that there's stuff that happens. People go on vacation, stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about the, uh, I don't really want to get the kids ready this morning, or, oh, I don't want... I've heard all kinds of, you've heard all kinds of things, and, and I have grace for people, so please don't feel like I'm coming down on any of you, okay? And there's a difference if you are providentially hindered from coming to worship. We were shut down, or you're sick, you know, or you're in the hospital, or the nursing, I mean, any of that stuff. There's different ways you can be providentially hindered from coming to worship, okay? Don't think that your pastor's going to be standing at the door, you know, checking you all in, and, and, I mean, we do notice if you're gone, because we care. (laughs) We care. Um, But the goal is that we would all prioritize and increasingly value our time worshiping together. Secondly, for all church increasingly be valuing and practicing times of personal worship during the week at home moves to help you uh, understand how to do that third for our worship times to be god honoring to be genuine and theologically accurate and i think our worship times are very god honoring just so you know um and then fourth for church members to understand that we rely on the power of god his word and prayer for the building of his church and not our own ideas and strength We rely on the power of God, the power of the word, and his ability to change people. We don't rely on how great we can do things. Because sometimes I don't do things too great. (laughs) And you don't either. And that's great. Because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on the power of God. Would you stand up with me? Let's pray together and then we'll sing. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that, that, God, not only do you care how we worship you, but you've actually told us in Scripture the things that we should be doing. And, God, I think we do have freedom to worship you in ways that you know, maybe weren't invented yet, right? Um, but, God, ultimately, we need, we need to be doing the things that you've commanded us to do in Scripture, Jesus. God, help me as I lead to trust you that your word is enough, to trust you that you are the only power for change, that the gospel is the power of God for life change. I pray you would call us to repentance, that we would be quick to to respond where we've sinned and we would repent, we would trust the good news that, that your death on the cross was enough even for that sin. That your sacrifice was sufficient. Help us trust you more and more. Help us value you more and more every day. Help us value each other more and more every day. And help us value our time together worshiping more and more every day. And Father, for those who are providentially hindered from being able to gather with us, God, help us to stay connected with them. Father, for them to continue to feel part of us. Help us, Lord, to prioritize the things that you prioritize, to love the things that you love and to hate the things that you hate. Cause us to hate our sin, Jesus. To run from it and to you. 
there's true freedom only in you, Jesus. We pray that our singing would be uh, honoring to you, that the attitude of our hearts, the posture of our hearts would be surrendered fully to you, Jesus. May you be big here in this church. And may we see many more people come to know you, Jesus, because of what goes on here every Sunday morning and what goes on in our lives Monday through Saturday. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.